Welcome to the Obey Podcast, where we see through mainstream narrative. No propaganda, no bullshit, just the truth. And now, here's your host, Matthew Keck. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Obey Podcast for another episode. So if you've listened to the last couple episodes, we covered things that are somewhat abstract. The ideas of, you know, the, the Machiavellian tactics of shock politics and, you know, the, the idea that how, how maybe you should think of election fraud and, and in terms of like what, what we know and what we can know. And the, the, these are interesting to think about, but they're not as grounded, I guess, in current events. But I stumbled upon something that I just had to. I just had to go on a tirade about it because it it really irked me. So I am recording this probably a few days before it will be posted to the podcast feed. But as of recording, this was posted seven hours ago by Ilhan Omar. Um, If you're not familiar with her, she's a member of the the, the, the quote-unquote squad in the House of Representatives. Um, She she represents a district in Minnesota. And she is uh, considered by by, by most people in American public discourse as like a a far-left... one of the most far-left elected representatives in the federal government. So seven hours ago, she tweeted, and, and, and it's a simple five-word tweet, cancel rent and mortgage payments, period. Um, so as of you know, the recording, this has 83,000 likes, 12,000 retweets, 12,000 comments. And then she responds to it, you can read about my bill here, and links to an article at marketrealist.com titled, What is the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act? So... I, I guess the, the, the reason why I felt the need to just talk about this is because people like Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and um, the, these people who, um, you know, are, are elected officials in the federal government have these economic views that are uh, otherworldly and have no basis in anything that makes sense, and I would even argue are deeply um, unethical. So I just wanted to talk about it for a little bit and get, get some of my thoughts about there, but both on this narrow topic itself and in, in their broad view of economics. So we, we start with the actual act itself, the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act. So pretty much what this act is designed to do is because of the coronavirus pandemic, it wants to not, not it, it doesn't want to just stop rent payments, it wants to actually cancel them so there won't be back pay due and it wants to um, have a government program for getting rid of these payments that would be normally paid to landlords. So the, the, the idea here is you help out the individuals who are struggling financially by instead of just giving a simple grace period, you eliminate all rent and mortgage payments for people who are in financial need because of the coronavirus, um, because of the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and, the, and they, they don't want anybody to be evicted, fined, or have their credit score negatively impacted. Now, interestingly enough, and, and I, this has to be an oversight on Ilhan Omar's fault. The article she links to a market realist actually does criticize the bill to some extent, suggesting re- reasons that might backfire and not work. And, and one of them, one of the reasons is that if the if, if if this bill is meant to provide, you know, the government provide back pay to certain landlords and so forth, it might take a while, and a lot of landlords rely 
on the renters' payments to make their own payments. So even if there's a government program put in place, it might not actually be effective at doling things out in a timely manner, so there might be a whole slew of problems attached. And Ilhan Omar is not a person who is known for her nuance, so I, I, I don't want to have to assume that, 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 that it was unintentional for her to almost link to a balanced article or a not completely in favor of her policy article, but, but, but she did, so it's, it's, it's worth reading. It's on marketrealist.com. Um, okay, so well, let's talk about why, why this bill is a bad idea for numerous reasons. So I, 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 I guess the, fir- the first way to think of it is it incentivizes bad behavior. So what, 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 what do I mean when I say it incentivizes bad behavior? Well, a lot of people in this country, unfortunately, live paycheck to paycheck, um, I wouldn't say that's a good thing, but this is a result of the, I guess, cultural behavior of Americans um, in terms of spending money. So a lot of people spend money similar to what they make, and this is something that um, a lot of a lot of government policies that are have good intentions um, really incentivize. And when it comes down to like government-provided unemployment insurance, it's kind of assumed that if you have a lapse of income, you're screwed. And we, we kind of give all these tools to make sure people don't have lapses of income. But, but what this really incentivizes is it, it, it pushes people to live to the furthest extent they can on their income, not, not save money, and to truly, you know, not be able to afford emergencies. And then when you put all these policies up in case of emergencies, it, does, it leads to people not building up their own savings. So, so even though, you know, you might want this policy to bail out people in the short term, you're, you're, you're setting up incentives in the future for people to not have emergency funds and to continue to, to, to live in a way where if they lose their job um, and have a hard time finding a job for a couple months, then they will um, always be bailed out or they'll have the idea that they should be bailed out or they have the right to be bailed out. So, so, so that's the first problem. So, so it has a bad long-term incentive structure of saying, we will bail people out when there's a circumstance that you can't control and you shouldn't make these plans for yourself because we'll help you. That, that's like the uh, subconscious part of a lot of the safety net policies that truly can't be ignored and it probably does incentivize a lot of bad behavior. Um, okay, so aside from that, we have is a stimulus bill. So all the money that we have to pay, so if this plan is decide, is designed to give money to uh, tenants or landlords to pay for the rent that is being canceled, then the money has to come from somewhere. So it's not like m- money comes from thin air. You have to remember that all of these, this is almost a policy you can lump in with stimulus policies. You either have to print money or you have to increase taxes. Um, if you print money, then you're going to have effects on the value of the dollar or on in inflation rates, and then that will dilute everybody's purchasing power, or it will lead to uh, in incongruity in the market. You know, so it will lead to uh, a false signal in the market that will lead to f- further downstream consequences that are hard to measure. But we, but those are the types of things that lead to future busts, right? So, so you have that consequence, or you have um, our deficit goes up. Four hundred million dollar, and, and, and so 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 when we print money, we have all that plus the, the the deficit would go over how much this bill would cost. So if this costs fifty billion dollars to do, the deficit also goes at fifty billion dollars. So that's great, or we have to actually you know pay for the fifty billion dollars through taxation, and that that means you're essentially doing a redistribution policy between everybody who doesn't want to pay their rent right now or didn't save money, 
and everybody who is actually financially sound given the pandemic. So you're penalizing people who are either in a circumstance that was pandemic proof, which part of that could be, um, it could be a result of good planning. I mean, I know people who have left jobs because they were working in a type of industry that they didn't want to work in anymore because they knew it's not a recession proof industry. So that that person should be, I guess, rewarded instead of penalized for, for taking that action. But this policy would tax from the people who, you know, are still working and still have income to redistribute to the people who, who, who lost their job. And I'm not saying it's the fault of the people that they lost their job. A lot of it's a result of bad government policies that are um, taking down a lot of small businesses. But I'm just saying, like, there are people who made smart decisions that were protective of their own careers and that they're, they're the ones who their taxes go up. Um, so it's, 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 the money has to come from somewhere, right? It's a redistribution policy. So it's either going to go, it's either going to be more debt that the government takes on that will continue to accumulate and that, that could potentially devalue our currency over a long period of time. So it could either add to that snowball or it's going to be money that that's stolen from people who were in different circumstances and the people who need their rent canceled. So it's, it's a redistribution policy. Um, it has bad incentives on future planning for consumers like tenants. And then it's going to have effects on people who are landlords. So if the government if the government um, institutes a policy that involves canceling rents, then it sets up a circumstance where a landlord can no longer operate in the same way they've historically operated. They had a fairly secure amount of revenue. So, so I mean, it depends, right? So if you're, I guess, the, the derogatory term of a slumlord, then you might not be able to consistently expect a return from a given property because people might often default on their leases or move out unexpectedly, and that that might not be something you can often recover. Um, I, I'm not sure of the economics of every individual person in every, in every region across the entire country, which is also part of why you shouldn't. You shouldn't be legislating on it because Elon Omar certainly does not understand the economics of being a landlord in every region across every country, whether it be urban or rural, in um, all kinds of states with all kinds of different zoning laws. Why would we assume a one-size-fits-all bailout policy would work for all of them or, or have good incentives um, structures set up as a result of this policy in all those jurisdictions? Probably won't. Um, but, but, but that's aside the point. Now, that's just a general issue with federal policy on complex industries. But, 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 but what I guess I'm, I'm getting at is even if these landlords get paid because through, through, through the government paying them out, if it takes them six months and they work in a uh, business model that is cash flow intensive where they often need cash from their tenants, um, well, all of a sudden you've taken the tool of evicting people off the table so people don't worry about getting the money to them because now you've passed a policy where they can't get evicted and you can't hurt their credit score. And you've uh, put them in a situation where they probably are waiting for the government to give them money for months, and their industry, their company could very well suffer as a result of that. So all these people are being put at risk. Um, also, any time a tenant here would have defaulted, since their credit score wouldn't be affected, their um, future creditors to them will not have complete information when they make decisions. So this is going to indirectly penalize people who would, who should have relative higher credit scores, right? So if you have two people with 550 credit scores, but one of them should have a 510 credit score because of what happened uh, during the coronavirus, but the government artificially prevented that from happening. Well, then the uh, other person who actually genuinely has a real 550 credit score might not end up winning that loan at that rate 
or it pushes up loan rates overall because there are more people with their credit score level. So there are other random downstream consequences. And and I say these things, and I'm listing off things that, that just come to mind off the top of my head. And it's to illustrate the point that this policy is not a uniquely bad policy. It's whenever you do a policy that targets an industry or is federally um, targeted and it's a broad policy, there are all of these consequences that that, that, that occur as a result. So if you imagine a very, very narrow policy in a very specific jurisdiction that only targets a certain type of store and it only happens in like a certain two mile uh, square in one city, then it's like, okay, we can easily think about some second order consequences that could happen and at least they're relatively bounded. But, but this policy affects the whole real estate sector and the entirety of the United States and everything involving landlord-tenant relationships. And then, then it has consequences on credit scores and it has consequences on, um, on all their business models. So it's just like you, you can't expect this to not change behaviors for people who are millions and millions of dollars l like le leveraged in this industry. That, that, that's a stupid thing to, to believe and to not think about. Yet when Ilhan Omar floats this policy, it's like, have you not thought about all these downstream consequences that you can't particularly measure? And then all these effects, it's like, okay, well, now people who might... Who, who, who have the optimal amount of savings to get into real estate now might not see it as a good investment. So now you've made the, this whole sector more risky because the risk of interventions being similar to this one are now higher. Or, or just the fact that investing in any capital-intensive business, the, the, the appetite to do that might, might drop through the floor because they're afraid the government is willing to jump in and do one-size-fits-all nationwide policies. And if the government's willing to do that, then why would you ever adopt a business model that involves you fronting millions and millions of dollars when you can focus on high variable costs? You, you could think of other ways of doing business that involve less leveraged capital costs. So there are all these downstream consequences that can occur from something as arbitrary as this cancel rent, cancel mortgages policy. And the fact that Ilhan Omar tweets out five words, that that is an ideal. It gets 80,000 likes and people have this intuition that yes, this is what should be done. And it's like, no, I I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm a person with a bachelor's degree in economics. I, I don't have a high-end degree, and most things I've learned are from things that I've attained just from books, right? It's not like I went and got a PhD at MIT in economics, or I spent um, 30 years studying the field. So the, the, these are things that are just springing to my mind as I, as I think about the policy. And if I and, and that's me, a person who isn't leveraged in the field. So people who are thinking about this and have $40 million in the industry are going to be thinking far beyond what I'm saying. And these are the things that, that, that set up the standard for whatever industry you're in, you should get bailed out. Because it's, it's like, well, how can a company expect X, Y, and Z to happen? Um, because any other time X, Y, and Z thing has happened... The government bails out that industry. Well, now that, that's how you end up with the government bailing out the banks. This is how you end up with the Federal Reserve uh, pr pr printing a bunch of money just to provide cheap assets to whole industries. And you end up with massive subsidies to industries that shouldn't really have subsidies. Um, so I, I think that this small tweet kind of amplifies a huge problem with political discourse, 
but it also amplifies a huge problem with central planning and Keynesian economics. And, and it's truly, I, I think, insulting because because these people are supposed to be smart. The, the people who listen to NPR and hear that this idea and they hear the touching piece where they interview a, a, a single mother and then she talks about how she can't afford her rent. It's like I get how that pulls at your heartstrings. But the fact that you think policy is this basic and simple, that it's the sides of good and evil and everybody that's good likes the tweet that's six words and uh, and won't have any you know long-lasting repercussions that will have huge consequences it's like are you mad it, it's 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 not that it's not that tough to um conceptualize that all of these things ripple out and in, into the ether far beyond the intent so ilhan omar probably has good intent i mean i'm not one of those people that wants to say she's an evil person based on nothing but but, but this is the problem with the collectivist um ideas even if you look at this through a Keynesian consequentialist lens, if you actually take everything into account in the analysis, it's probably going to be more bad for people than it is good for people. And this isn't even to bring up basic non-aggression principle type points like how you shouldn't infringe on people's property without their consent. I'm not even touching that with a 10-foot pole to tell you why this policy is bad. So even by their standards, if you actually think about it, it fails. This policy is a failure, and even the article Ilhan Omar links has skepticism about why the policy probably isn't even a cure-all. So, that's my tangent. I, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity to talk about very specific, I guess, po policy points or, you know, things that have been in the cultural zeitgeist. Um, so, I just wanted to share those thoughts because the second I saw that tweet, I knew there was probably a 15-minute tangent inside of me. And I think I think that's what you guys got. So, so if you enjoyed, um, you know, f feel free to come back next uh, to, to tomorrow and I should have more, more content for you to, to listen to. And signing off for now, it's Matthew Keck. If you enjoyed the episode... Please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey Podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey Podcast or on Twitter at The Obey Podcast. Until next time. Next time.